wonder if any of you listen to uh, Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. You can get that on WHCF every once in a while. He's got a nice accent. I don't know where he's from, but uh, easy to listen to, great preacher. He's been doing a bunch of uh, messages recently, a uh, um, sermon series in character, where um, he speaks in the, in the first-person voice of characters who were central to the Christmas story. So he has done one from the perspective of Joseph and from the perspective of Herod, from the perspective of angels, I think from David. This past week, I happened to be uh, traveling a little bit, and I, I heard him deliver a sermon from the perspective of Adam, the first man. And as part of that message, Adam uh, informed uh, the congregation that he'd received a note from Pastor Smith. And it was a note encouraging him to talk more about Jesus than himself. And it ended with a word of advice. And don't preach too long. It is, after all, Christmas. <laughs> I thought that's good advice. I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to follow that advice today as well. I want to talk briefly this morning about traditions. Traditions are habits, right? Customs, rituals, practices that we pass down from one group to another, from one generation to the next. Towns and cities have traditions. Organizations that have been around for a while have traditions. Um, certainly churches have traditions. Lord forbid you try to change some of them. Um, families have traditions, right? Everybody seems to have traditions. Um, we had a tradition here a little while ago before the pandemic for quite a few years where uh, every Advent season, we would have uh, a service of lessons and carols, and we would read through scripture story, sort of beginning to end of Christmas and Christ. And um, when we started that tradition, Scott Cleveland brought that to us, and we did it for many years. I remember when we started that tradition, and, and Abby kind of reminded me last night, because she said, are we going to be doing that again, which is what we do with traditions, are we going to do it? I said, oh, we're not going to do that this year. Because when we started that tradition, Abby was running a microphone for the scripture readers. <laughs> if I'm recalling this correctly, she was young enough and small enough that we couldn't always see her <laughs> running around. Is that right? Do you remember that? that? That's the way that was. Well, guess what? She volunteered to do that. And I said, well, we're not going to do that tomorrow, but I would like to do something else just for a few minutes, and I need you to play along here. If you don't, it's going to be a very uncomfortable 10 minutes of <laughs> silence. Um, I wonder if you might be willing to share with us some of your favorite Christmas traditions. So I know I've got to give you a second to think about it, and then we're going, we really are going to run the microphone around because it's hard to hear in here if somebody's just speaking. And uh, these do not have to be profound, you know, super spiritual traditions. You know, in my family, my Graham Connors always put an orange at the end of my stocking. 
and my sister every year would say, oh, it's a dumb old orange, and that became a tradition. Well, if you ask her today about an orange, that's what she'll say, it's a dumb old orange. Like the last thing you dig out of that stocking is an orange. Huh? So, right, that's not profound, that's not massively important, but it's kind of sweet, and it has stayed with us. What is it about your Christmases, maybe growing up, a tradition that your family had, maybe something that you still do, or maybe something that you began with family or friends? I need a few of you to share, because we want to hear from you, and Abby's literally going to run the microphone around, but we'll be able to see her this time. Okay, over here, Abby, and then you just follow the hands. <laughs> um, I have one of the uh, oldest Christmas memories I have. Um, you have to understand I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. Um, I could not understand why we did this Jesus birthday thing because no one talked about Jesus in my house. We didn't go to church. But um, every Christmas... Uh, we had stockings, and we would get a piece or two of the nativity set in our stocking. Um, so I looked forward to that every year. I didn't know if I got a shepherd. <clears throat> I still have it today. It's on my piano. Um, it's cracked and broken, and I've stolen my sister's angels. <laughs> but it's, it's meaningful to me because um, that was my connection to trying to figure this Jesus part of Christmas out. Um, why they came in my stocking is just phew, a little beyond my comprehension. Um, and then one year, my mom took us shopping with her right before Christmas, and we went into the 5 and 10. And in the store were these bins all through it of bins of Marys and bins of shepherds and bins of baby Jesuses. It was all the manger scene that was coming to me every year in my stocking. And I was, that was even more confusing. Is how did the manger sets get multiplied, mass produced, and put into the five and ten? Um, you know, that was, that was a really strange place to be. But um, it was magical for me to get my nativity set that way every year. Oh, praise God. And I might as well go next. <laughs> um... Most mornings, I would be the first one up, because I was the youngest, and I would go into my parents' room and bounce up and down, find out if it was okay to open stockings or not yet. Or my sisters would be like, hey, Galen, go in and see if the waters were good. <laughs> and we would all congregate on the bed and open the stockings one at, you know, one at a time. And that was the best part, just being able to open up the stockings on mom and dad's bed. <laughs> and then later on, after everyone said breakfast and ready to open up the real gifts, um, but before we could open up the real gifts, dad would read the Christmas story. And uh, as we grew older, we were all like, it didn't really happen as much because we had our own families and, and things. But then one time we did get all together and we both, all three of us looked at each other and looked at Dad and said, Dad, read the 
Can you read this story for to us? <laughs> oh, sweet. If he had tears, he probably would have cried. <laughs> We've had the tradition of having a Christmas dinner, Christmas night, and uh, before we have any gifts, I have to have my Christmas picture. And it's a hard time getting everybody all together with all the uh, grands and great-grands, and they... But I say, we don't have any presents, don't open any presents until we have our picture taken. And I have an album of at least 30 years worth of pictures for, for Christmas night, for di uh, after dinner. So I grabbed a tissue before I even knew I was going to talk because um, I am so blessed. Um, I live with the meringues, and if they're here, I apologize. Um, when I was a kid, Twas the Night Before Christmas was the one that we read. And when I was old enough, I got to read it. And last night, the meringues, They let me join in with their family tradition, and it made so much of a difference to me. They had pop-up books. Everyone had a pop-up book. Every generation had one. And I just sat there amazed watching them watch their granddaughter. And just what a privilege it is to have these traditions and how much it means to carry them on with your family. Thank Amen. you. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so every year, me, my sister, and my mom always go over to my grandmother's house, and we always make gingerbread houses, and we always take these pictures with them, with us in the background. And this year we did it, and right as we were taking our pictures, my one of my cousins, Joey, he wasn't there because he was at the boatyard helping my uh, grandfather with something. So every year we always make gingerbread houses together and it's just so fun. Um, this year my gingerbread house fell over right <laughs> as I finished it, of course. I had to put it back together. And it's just a wonderful time being able to spend time with family. That's awesome. Before man. Christmas. That's awesome. So many of you probably remember my Nana, Esther. And um, every year when we opened presents, she'd always be like, don't rip the paper. You've got to save the paper for next year. <laughs> and so last night we were opening presents, and my grandfather, bless his heart, was unwrapping it. And he's like, can't rip the paper. got to save it for next year. And... And my grandmother was like, David, hurry up. You're going to make us wait here all night. Santa won't be able to come. Hey, David, hurry up. And so finally he ripped it. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, Mom. I ripped the paper. I can't use it next year for your present. <laughs> but that's my favorite memory is watching Nana take forever to open her presents. Um. I had, uh, my mom is still uh, with us, my dad is not, but I had uh, the best parents on the planet, in my opinion. 
but I do want you to know, at Christmas time, they were torturous. Um, and of course, we'd all wake up and drive them crazy, and they would make all six of us sit at the top of the stairs until they had their coffee, okay? Which was, you know, we sat there for 15, 20 minutes sometimes, and they were just having a ball with us. And, and then, uh, you know, you, hit my, you couldn't see my, my dad, but you'd hear him go, Merry Christmas! And that was the signal, and we all went running. So, God bless my parents. Oh, sweet. And our house um, on our tree, I tried to make this a rustic tradition that we had a star that we put at the top of the tree, but for my boys, it was that rusty old star. But I am very grateful because my youngest, who's the tallest, still lives only around the corner and was able to come down and put that rusty old star on the tree today. <laughs> We would open our presents when I was a little kid on Christmas Eve because we would go to my grandmother's the next day. So we would do our stockings in the morning. And my older brother, John, would always get up after my mom did our stockings, go downstairs and unwrap his stocking at nighttime. And so we would wait, but we all knew he would do that. I, he never got in trouble for it for some reason. Um, but we would go to my grandmother's and all my family would be there and we would do like popcorn balls and things like that. So that's what I remember. And then Blake wanted to say something. Blake's got a tradition. Me and my mom. <laughs> I'm not yelling. <laughs> you're not yelling, you're doing fine. Me and my mom always, every year on Christmas, make gingerbread cookies. <laughs> All right. We good? Is there more? Kathy Smith. I was texting Sam this morning, so Sam's our son, and he's out on Hitch in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, not being home for Christmas, and uh, I just kind of told him we were praying for his safety and have our Christmas when he's home, and just reminded him of all the Christmases that that little boy brought us joy, and um, just waiting to open his first, his one and only gift he got from Santa, because if he got more than one, some little boy or little girl wouldn't get one, and he always put his ho-ho hat on his present. And he came back and thanked us for all the wonderful Christmases that he has in his heart. And it just was a blessing. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Thanks for that. This, this is more of a Christmas habit than a tradition. I don't like to take my Christmas tree down. Uh, I heard some friends talk about taking theirs down the day after Christmas. It's like, it almost made me cry. <laughs> like, I've been known to keep my Christmas tree up till June. <laughs> we came home one year um, from going down to Florida fishing, and my son said, Mom, you should have seen the tree. He got home from working in California, and 
the tree had slumped over and the star was nearly touching the ground. All the needles were on the ground, but the tree was still there. Um, so my husband, bless his heart, knowing that I'm a Christmas tree addict, um, he decided a few years ago to put Christmas trees on the ceiling of our house. I have them every night. It never comes down. We don't have to clean up needles. I don't have to get fussed out about fire hazard. So that was, that's really not so much a tradition, but just a really sweet thing that he did. <laughs> so we've heard enough at least now, and I'll thank you, Abby, for us probably to conclude that traditions are good. And that's what I want to say, is that traditions are good. And I actually think that God believes that, agrees with us there. If he didn't, I'm not sure why he would have instituted so many of them in his word. If you, if you go back through the scripture, you will see that God is a God of traditions. Um, you think about the institution of the Passover. So the Israelites would remember their uh, rescue from slavery the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, again, so that they would recall the Exodus and God's incredible mercy and his deliverance, the Day of Atonement, where the, the sins of a nation uh, were confessed, admitted, and where something was done about them, they were transferred symbolically to an animal. That animal was killed. That, that animal was killed as a, as so that we would understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. All of these, by the way, these feasts and festivals and remembrances, they point to Jesus. They all, they all point us to Jesus. And I, there are many traditions that God has established through his word and for his people. I think God knows that if we humans don't do something on a regular basis to remember his uh, gracious acts, to commemorate his, his goodness and his interventions in our lives. And if we don't do something on a regular basis, we're bound to forget those things. And, and that has proven true as we read through the people of God who have forsaken these sorts of traditions. We do forget. Um, I mean, Jesus instituted the observance, right? The ordinance of the Lord's Supper in which we proclaim his death until he comes. You remember what he said when he did that. Do this what? in remembrance of me. It's good for us to remember. This is what traditions are for. And this is what traditions are good for. They help us remember. In some ways, they help us relive. And in other ways, they even help us relearn the great lessons of our collective past. They help us remember. So, so when they are firmly rooted in a historical event, a command of God or a great truth, when they are meaningful, uh, like that, they are good. And that's what our celebration of Christmas is. I know we bemoan what Christmas has become for so many, but that doesn't really do us any good to do that. That's what Christmas is for us. It is a celebration, a tradition that is firmly rooted in a historical event. And that historical event is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know not everybody understands Christmas this way. We, we understand that there are people today who want to rename the holiday. There are some people who want to just say happy holidays. There are people talking about a solstice. A recent poll I read expressed a belief and concern from a majority of those surveyed that people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Well, if it's true that people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas, it's only all the more reason, beloved, to see that we Christians do not. Let the possibility 
inspire us to see that Jesus gets more talk time in our homes than Santa. To see that the nativity on the shelf gets more attention than a pesky elf. To see that presence in worship is more valued than presence under a tree. This is what we have to do. This is how we carry on. This is how we remember, relive, relearn, not only for us, but for the generations that are coming. How fitting for believers to be in worship on Christmas Day. When some of you announced your plans to come to church today on Christmas, you may have been met with a bit of a whine. Do we have to? And then if you had to tell kids, it would be even more pushback. <laughs> but it's good that we're here. And I, that's not a knock on those who aren't here, by the way. We have whole families who are battling sickness right now who are blessing us today with their absence. <laughs> we are so grateful for that. Uh, we have members traveling, we have members who are visiting family members, we have members who are worshiping in other contexts today, we have members who are juggling multiple commitments, we have members who are overcoming sickness but aren't well enough to be here. So, so the statement about it's good for us, how fitting it is for us, is just exactly that. It's a statement not about who couldn't be here today, about those who are. How fitting for us to be here in worship on Christmas Day. To be in worship today, this morning, likely means that your usual Christmas traditions, your routines, what you do almost every other Christmas, in any given year, it had to shift, it had to change. You're doing something different than you usually do. In an article titled, Why Our Church is Having Christmas Day Services, Pastor Dustin Messer cites this shift as a good thing. He writes, it's easy to see the church service is just another service being offered to us, a religious product meant to better our lives. But what happens at church isn't centered on us. It's centered on God. Going to church when it's inconvenient is a good reminder of that fact. To understand why we go to church on Christmas, we have to understand why we go to church in the first place. In our weekly worship, we do just that. We worship giving God his worth, offering to him sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving to be sure we get things out of church, comfort, teaching, fellowship. But the audience for worship is God, not us. Why do we go to church? It's hard to improve on the book of common prayer. We have come together in the presence of almighty God, our heavenly father, to set forth his praise, to hear his holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation. Will I feel like waking up early on Christmas this year to go over my sermon? I'd like to think so, but perhaps not. Did I feel like going to church on Christmas Day as a child? Not really. Neither may you and neither may your kids, but at Christmas time, above all seasons, it's important to remind ourselves of who we are. Homo adorans, man as worshiper, when we understand ourselves rightly, we understand the church rightly and vice versa. You and I are all at heart created by God's design worshipers. And God, of course, and deservedly so, is to be the object of our supreme affection. And I come to believe that if God is not the object of our supreme affection, that really means we just don't know him well enough. That if we were to know him better, we would know how worthy he was. And he would become the, the object, the supreme object of our affection. God deserves to be the supreme object of our affection. 
And when we come to worship, that is what we are saying. We defer to him. Our lives are his. We live for him. He gets the first consideration. He gets the first part of us. He reigns. That's what we're saying when we come to worship. We are worshipers, and we are here to worship God. The things of this life, the joys of this season, lots of fun, gifts and blessings to be enjoyed, right? They are, but they're not to be worshipped. Not to be more precious to us than or somehow disconnected from our great God who gives them all to us. We never want the celebration, the tradition, to take on more importance than the reason for it, right? So being in worship on Christmas is a beautiful way to reiterate, to live out the order of our lives, to restate truly the priorities of our lives. Again, we live for him. We live for him. Many across the world today have demonstrated this by submitting their usual family traditions to a higher tradition called corporate worship. Or maybe it's fair to say that they, you, have made corporate worship part of the Christmas tradition whenever Christmas falls on a Sunday. Worshiping today is an ideal way of remembering not just the point of church, but naturally the point of Christmas. It is only right that the center of our Christmas tradition, with all our giving and receiving of gifts, is to remember and show appreciation for the greatest of gifts ever given. As the Apostle Paul put it in his second letter to the Corinthians, thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Words cannot convey how beautiful, how meaningful, how profound, how significant is this gift of Jesus Christ. The quiet of a Bethlehem night over 2,000 years ago was shattered with the songs of angels who brought a message of good news, of great joy for all people, the light had come into the darkness. The Messiah is born. The promise delivered. God's gift of his only son, who will save his people from their sins, who saves you, Christian, from your sins. The greatest gift ever given. The greatest gift ever received. I pray that you will richly enjoy the rest of this day and all your Christmas traditions. And I thank you and I commend you for making, for keeping worship this day a part of them. Let's stand and sing.